What is the couple's match? Do you have to be in a relationship to participate? Why is it important to have a decent fellowship option as a couple? And finally, what are some important tips for a couple going through the process? Today on Talking Admissions of Med Student Life, I interview Ryan and Knut, current fourth-year medical students and couple match participants here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions in Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. I have a super great surprise today. We have two guests, Ryan Knute, uh, two fourth-year medical students. Hello, you two. Hello, Dr. Chan. Hello. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. All right, let's get right down to it. Brass tacks. Couples match. Are you guys couple matching? We are couples matching. Okay. Officially submitted our rank list yesterday. Yesterday. So yesterday. So I'm glad we're talking it now. So Ryan, what are you going into? I'm going into general surgery. And Knut? Yeah, I'm going into neurology. All right. So let's talk about the couples match. Like, what is that? What does it mean? So couples match, any two people. So a couple things that I didn't know about the couples match before doing it. You don't actually have to be in a relationship, a romantic relationship with somebody to couples match with them. The residency programs will not make you prove. A romantic that is relationship. true. No one asked whether or not we were married or whether we were same sex or anything. So you can couples match with your buddy. And the other thing I didn't know is you can couples match with a buddy from any other medical institution, any other medical school. Um so, so if Ryan went to a different medical school, you still could do couples match. We could still do the couples match, yes. Mm-hmm. But you two have never met if that happened. And we're going to get into true. that. We're going to get into that. Met. Okay. So that's what the couples match is. So you're out interviewing for surgery. You're out interviewing for neurology. Yep. Did they coordinate your interview schedules at all? No. Um, so one thing that we didn't realize going into the couples match is that both general surgery and neurology are kind of like they're not as large a programs as say internal medicine or pediatrics or even family medicine. And so we didn't, we weren't able to coordinate any of our interviews at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, We were lucky enough that Knut got almost all of his interview offers like a week before me. So I had an idea of kind of what type of interviews from what institutions I was looking to get. Um, but we basically spent four months traveling the country and not really seeing each other. <laughs> wow. That sounds pretty rough. Yeah. We almost met a couple times. Originally, uh, we interviewed it, both inter- interviewed at Vermont, and I had an interview at the beginning of the week. She had an interview at the end of the week, and we thought we'd have this wonderful romantic week in fall of Vermont. Ended up not happening because I had an interview at the end of the week, and we met in the airport a couple times, Atlanta and whatnot. Yeah, we didn't even know that we were going to be in the airport at the same time. I had just like got up from a restaurant and Knut had just sat down at the same restaurant and I was texting him. What restaurant was this? Some place in it. Was it Chili's? <laughs> no. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. But he we was can go t- a whole discussion about air, yeah. airport dining options. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it was just like really funny because I was like, Knut, I have 10 minutes till I board a plane. And he's like, okay, I'm running down. What gate are you at? And then we got to hug and I walked away and that was my interaction with Knut. So. All right. So do the neurology programs and then the general surgery programs, do they talk to one another? I mean, how do they communicate that to you? They, they do sit, talk but, to one another. Okay. Yeah. So a uh, great example. Uh, I interviewed at a program in North Carolina just a couple of days before your interview out there. This is 
where we met in, in Atlanta, actually, that interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I talked with – sometimes you interview with the chairs of these programs. And I told her that I you know, had a partner. So when you apply, you actually click this little box saying that you have a partner. But it's not until you come with, up with your rank list that you officially lock your applications. So there's some still time to decide whether or not you want to actually jump in mm-hmm. with a couples match. But I had already checked that box, so they knew that I was – planning on couples matching. And I I interviewed with a chair out there and told her about Ryan and about her interest in surgery. Uh, And she actually called the program director of the surgery department and said, you know, we have this applicant. Um, She's interviewing. Ryan is interviewing on this day. Um, We think she'd be great. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that actually, she followed up with that. and, And it was really great that at least the program was aware of Ryan and kind of on their radar before she'd actually interviewed there. Yeah. And so, you can couples match at the same institution, so the same like hospital or like training institution, or you can couples match in the same city. Um, and so it was easier for the programs to communicate with each other when it was the same institution. It was a lot harder when mm. we were just applying in the same city, but it wasn't the same school. Mm. And then you have to make like a concerted effort to tell whoever you're interviewing with, I am couples matching. They have an interview at such and such school for such and such program. Um, and anytime you follow up with them, you also reiterate the fact that you're couples matching. Good, good. So when you, I remember like some of the things I've heard. I'm not sure if these are true or not. But when you go through the couples match, you tend to identify large urban cities because they usually have large programs or multiple programs. Do you agree with that, or is that was that a strategy you had at the outset? Or? So that was a strategy that had been told to us, and that we it was recommended to us to do. Um, what we didn't realize until we started looking at programs is that there aren't as many neurology programs as there are surgery, and there aren't even any community neurology programs that we found or were interested in. And so it really limited where we could apply. Mm-hmm. And then we added on top of that that I don't want to live in a really big city. So we took away cities like L.A., San Francisco, New York, Chicago, um, and ended up applying to places that only had one training center. Mm -hmm. So medium-sized cities. Medium to small-sized cities, um, which is a different strategy than I think a lot of couples take. Mm -hmm. Definitely more expensive the way we did it. Yeah, Yeah. there is actually – you can Google like Medscape – just came up with this mm-hmm. article uh, about how much medical students are apply, uh, spending to mm-hmm. apply, and they looked at couples match, and we ended up spending a little bit more than uh, the reported figures. Uh, you know, this is only yeah. me, and all the people are going to listen to this, right? Like, how much did you guys end up spending? What was your budget for this? So we figured after talking, so we talked to a couple people and years ahead of us that had couples matched. Um, again, it depends on your strategy. If you're going to apply to New York City, Chicago, Boston, um, Bay Area, and L.A., I think you can get away with spending a little bit less money. I think the figures reported on Medscape were somewhere on the order of five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, maybe seven thousand dollars. We budgeted about ten thousand a piece. Okay, um, and that was fairly realistic, okay. actually. Which what is, was more expensive, the air flight, uh, the uh, the flights, or the hotels? What 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 ended up being the biggest cost? You think? I think flights for me. So neurology, and th- you'll figure this out depending on what specialty you go into. Some specialties will court you more than other specialties, and mm-hmm. I am fortunate enough that neurology uh, they really want applicants, mm-hmm. and especially some of the places that aren't in 
urban areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that said, some places like Vermont, I talked about earlier, will put you up in a nice hotel. Sweet. The night before your interview. Mini bar. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, <laughs> they put me up in, in Vermont, just a plug for Vermont here. Yeah. They put me up in uh, the Hilton right on the lake. Oh, wow. On Lake Champlain. So in a pretty nice, pretty nice little room. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they. When you walked in the hotel room, was there like a little. Like a little basket with your name on it. There was actually. Oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not even kidding you. Basket, yeah. yeah, the gift basket. It's I got some things. Vermont maple syrup okay. and oh, all that good beautiful. stuff. Yeah. Yes. For me, it was flights and hotels. So mm-hmm. surgery is super competitive. And while I was recruited in other ways, I was not recruited by getting free hotel rooms or yeah. even free flights. <laughs> <laughs> um, Canoe got a lot of swag. He has a lot of coffee mugs from all the places he interviewed. Yeah. And shirts too, but. The only oh, thing nice. I got for swag was a Hershey bar. <laughs> I was really excited about it. So we had we. I think I ended up spending more than canoe, mm-hmm. um, but it kind of averaged to about ten thousand a piece. Okay. The one other thing that adds cost that a lot of people don't think about is if you're not interviewing multiple interviews in a big city, um, and if you fly from a place remote more remote like Utah. I mean, there's really one academic center within a long, mm-hmm. <laughs> large geographic area here. Uh, generally, it's harder to get a flight back the same day as your interview. Mm-hmm. That means you have to be there a day before, stay in a hotel, get, get some kind of accommodation. Most interviews start pretty early in the morning. I yeah, guess. they usually yeah. start pretty early in yeah. the morning. And you usually have uh, dinner with the residents the night before your interview, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice. Actually, that's probably the most useful part of your interview is yeah, feeling out the, yeah. the residents. Um, but it's I often had to get a, accommodations for a second night uh, before flying back here. And so that adds, you know, if you're staying with family or friends, not a problem. If you're staying in hotels, it's another hundred bucks. Yeah. So that people that drive, people, you know, that live in New York and are interviewing in kind of on the eastern seaboard, they can drive back that same day. I think one mistake we both made early on is that um, you don't have all your interviews in and they kind of trickle in and in no order. Um, and so we had been trying to like buy tickets early to save money. And we bought a couple round trip tickets that we then ended up having to like pay a cancellation fee and a rescheduling fee. Mm -hmm. And so I think after each doing that once, we decided that we were only going to buy one way tickets and just kind of see how things played out. Um, so it was a lot of like one way tickets. It's interesting. That's an interesting strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I, within a week period, I went on six interviews. So I flew to six different places within seven days. That sounds, that sounds actually quite horrible. So I'm glad you survived that. Yes, me too. All right. So let's talk about like the match list. So, so you said you get to go in and you link your two match lists. So do you see each other's match list? Yes. So I put in his name and NRMP number or something like that. And then he verifies that he does want a couple's match with me or vice versa. And then we each can see the other person's match list. I can only change mine and he can only change his, but we can see what we're each ranking one, two, three, and so forth. Okay. And so the way it works is like you both rank the same program number one, right? And then... So, I mean, like, what happens if, like, someone, like, lists, like, their three and four are reversed from the other person's three and four? Like, I'm just kind of curious how that Well, you can come up with a list however you want to come up with a list. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to – and I think Ryan mentioned this earlier. You don't actually have to rank the same program. So if you're both interviewing, like, in Boston, we interviewed in Boston, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I can put Tufts as one, for example, and she can put Beth Israel as one. 
mm-hmm. and that that will totally work out. We're okay. in the same city, and then you know she can put another program as two, and I can still keep Tufts as number one. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of mix and match that way. Um, so can you set it up in a way? So let's, let's use your yeah. Boston example okay. that you you know your first three on both of you are Boston, but then your fourth is like. Uh, New York, mm-hmm. uh, and her fourth um, is still Boston. Would it would it ever break to the point where you would both end up matching in separate cities, or yeah. would they still keep on dropping down till your next New York popped up, which is maybe five? Do you do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I do. Um, so it's it's the number that is linked. It's not necessarily the city or the program. Okay. So whatever he ranks is number one, and whatever I rank is number oh, one or linked. Okay. That's just for one unit. Okay. Yeah. And so we could decide to do the same institution, the same city, opposite cities, whatever strategy we have. Mm-hmm. It's just that whatever his number one and my number one and so forth, those are linked. Is there a lot of information out there you no. know, for strat- like for couples match? Because, again, like th- I get asked this question a lot. And, you know, I talked to Dr. Stevenson over in Student Affairs and he kind of gives me his take. But, like, there is actually not that many people who do couples match. I think, what, maybe – 200, 300 people across the country? Does that sound about accurate? Or? I don't really know. It's, it, it felt like there were a lot more than I had anticipated when we were interviewing, but there, you're correct. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of information out there. Um, we had talked to some students who graduated the previous year that had couples matched, and um, one of my mentors and um, actually the program director was had couples match before. So I went to him for a lot of information. He kind of had two very unique perspectives, one that he had couples matched and he also understood matching and mm-hmm. just going on interviews and stuff. And so that was really helpful. Um, but it was a struggle for us. Yeah. I, I think we definitely found that talking to people that had gone through the match was definitely the most important. And we lucked out. So it turns out one of the Chief surgical residents here, couples matched with her now husband, who's a second year stroke fellow here. And so he was a neurologist oh, wow. here. Yeah. She's a general surgeon here. And so they talked a lot about their experience. And that was super helpful, actually. Yeah. Oh, so let's talk about that. I want yeah. to hear from both of you. Um, I'll start with Ryan. So two years ago, I have this really great memory of you. You're <laughs> at this primary care booth. And like, Dr. Chan, can you sign up for like this newsletter? And I filled out this information and I still get emails from this organization. <laughs> and she's like, wow, like, oh, that's so cool. Ryan's going to primary care. And you chose surgery, which did, is totally cool. Yeah. But I just want to hear about this. Like, like, cause like, again, I get asked a lot about incoming students, like how, how do people make their decisions? And so I always like asking, especially fourth years, cause you've made your decision. How did you choose surgery? And then uh, the follow-up question for Knut is how did you choose neurology? Yeah. So I, Started medical school thinking I want to do pediatrics. Mm-hmm. I had a really fabulous mentor that I had done research and clinical work with that I just wanted to be her. Um, all of my research, my first and second years, was pediatrics oriented. And then a leadership opportunity came available to get involved with uh, a student group called Primary Care Progress. I'm a firm believer in having a very strong primary care health system. Mm-hmm. And so my interests were piqued. Um, and it was something that I just wanted to do. The people that were involved were really influential. So I wanted to kind of, you know, get the word out there about this new group, get the word out about primary care. Um, and I, I didn't necessarily want to go into, like, family medicine or internal medicine, but I was thinking peds. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was thinking outpatient or inpatient or subspecialized or anything. Um, and then 
I came to my third year and just realized that what I thought I liked, I, it wasn't actually for me mm-hmm. for various reasons. And they say you have to find your people and you have to find the types of patients and the types of problems that you're willing to get paged in the middle of the night for. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was surgery, especially um, trauma or dealing with like ICU type patients. Um, and I just, you know, my interest just evolved as I went through Um I think I was very narrow-minded and very biased and uh, really grew as a person just going through medical school and having my um, my interest peaked by different things. Mm-hmm. And I kind of follow the opportunities that present themselves. And for me, it was just general surgery. So on your surgery rotation during third year, was that just like the aha moment for you or was it a culmination of things? It was definitely an aha moment. I joked with my chief resident first day of my clerkship that I wasn't going into surgery. He's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, not surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) So you were converted. (laughs) And um, he laughed and he said, okay, we'll see. And within three, four days, I realized how much I liked the medicine of surgery, the personalities of surgery, the patients. The OR. Yeah, but not even, I mean, the OR is like the icing on top of the cake. Oh, okay. You know, like I liked the complexity. I think surgery is a lot more... Um, kind of well-rounded than people mm-hmm. initially thought, than especially I initially thought. And I, all my preconceived notions were challenged, and they all went out the window once I actually got my feet wet. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are some of the preconceived notions out there about surgery? I mean, I think I was afraid of, like, the stereotypical surgeon personality, which if you ask any of my friends or family, they would laugh at because it's so obvious that I fit within that, like, personality mm-hmm. group. Um I was also afraid of being in the OR and standing for long periods of time and, you know, the idea that surgeons just work so many hours. Mm-hmm. Um, they and do then, tend to get to the hospital the earliest. They I do. Mean, um, you know, pre-rounding, because like the OR opens up at 7, yeah. so you need to kind of see all your patients before 7. Yeah. Um, so that takes a lot of time. It yeah. does. <laughs> um, but the thing I realized going through all my rotations is that you know, it's not just the surgeons who have strong personalities or work really long hours or are always on their feet. It's every type of doctor. Um, and I just, I like the efficiency of the OR when a team works really well together and things just happen so streamlessly. It's, it's, it's so beautiful to witness that. And I just wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I'm happy for you, Ryan. Okay. New Knut, sorry. Um, <laughs> neurology. Neurology. Weird cousin of psychiatry. Let's hear about it. It is. Yeah. It is a weird cousin. Yeah. So um, my background's not science. My mm. background is actually philosophy of religion. Mm. A little different, I realize, but I kind of liked that uh, these kind of big 30,000 foot existential type questions. What does it mean to be human? Tell me about your experience of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and slowly over the course of you know four years and a couple years of graduate school and a couple years of thereafter got into evolutionary biology. And then I got this opportunity to work in a muscle biology lab actually right before matriculating to medical school. So muscle biology, we did a lot of muscular dystrophy research um, with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, little boys, one gene, degenerative disease, kids die now, 20s, maybe 30s. Um, So I kind of got a little bit of basic science involvement in neurosciences. Um, I think the neuroscience course, first two years, is very well liked by students. The brain and behavior. The brain and behavior, yeah, that's yes. That's what it's called, yeah. Yep, it's one that, you know, you hear about day one mm-hmm. as being one of the it's highlights. It's very, very well taught. It's, it's it super be, well taught. It tends to be the most popular among the med students because it's so yep. well taught, and I think it's very high yield. I've also heard students say that they do very, 
our students do very well on the boards when it comes to those types of questions. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, and you get to ask these existential questions, right? Tell me about your experience with the world. And they have these weird nebulous symptoms. Oh, like I have some tingling in my right hand mm-hmm. and that doesn't seem to make any sense. But then you have this kind of grid-like system of nerves and neuromuscular junctions. And you get to kind of figure out there's some grounding to what they're telling you. Mm-hmm. So you get to ask these existential questions, but then you have, actually have some natural science knowledge to kind of figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea of parsimony that you'll hear about. What's the most simplistic explanation for what makes sense for their symptoms? And kind of figuring that out is pretty fun, I think. And then again um, – Going through third year is uh, eye-opening. Finding your people, I think, is is like for that. sure the Finding case. Finding your people. I'm going to attribute yeah. that to you. Did Ryan come up with that or is that, is that I, a, a I think it was uh, a neurologist that told us that actually, Dr. Kathleen Diggory. <laughs> Maybe. <I laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Well, find your I'll people, say it was a neurologist. Find yeah. your tribe. Find, find your group. Yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, I went through neurology rotation and the residents seemed pretty happy. Mm-hmm. You work hard. One thing I like about neurology is that you do a medicine year, um, internal medicine year, mm-hmm. as your first year of residency. So you feel like a doctor's doctor still. Um, you know, y- you can work up a UTI. You can work up some chest pain. You feel comfortable with kind of basic internal medicine type questions. But then you have this whole new genre of knowledge on top of that. And then I think all of us that go into neurology love kind of the basic science. And we're in this kind of golden age of neuro, uh, neurosciences right now where we're doing gene therapy trials and we're doing stem cell research and we're doing, you know, exon skipping therapies for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Yeah. And stroke is treated differently today than it was a year and a half ago because of some five new trials that came out. And things are just changing rapidly. And not only do we know much more about the pathophysiology of disease, but we're now starting to be able to actually make measurable impacts on people's life and the treatment of disease. And that's new yeah. in the last five years. Yeah, I would agree with that. Just as a quick aside, like, you know, I have a, like, I'm in psychiatry, but I have a lot of colleagues and friends in neurology. And it, again, it used to be that like diagnoses in neurology were lifelong or very chronic. And yeah, there's this new frontier that's opening up about yeah. new treatment options. So it's a very, very exciting. So. Yeah. So, and I like the kind of diversity of career options going forward. Mm-hmm. So, neurohospitalist is starting to be a big thing, which is shift work. Well, that was my next question for both of you. Yeah. Fellowships. I mean, Fellowships. Like, is that in the cards? I mean, I'm not going to hold you to it because you yeah. know, we know residency can be long and people can change minds. But, like, right today, what would you choose? So, today, yeah. So, in neurology, you can do inpatient, outpatient, intensivist, you know geriatrics. I mean, you name it, you can do it in neurology, which is awesome. And about 75, 80% of neurology, current neurology residents end up choosing to do a fellowship. So as our knowledge is exploding, it turns out you need a little specialized training and things. So yeah, I'll probably end up doing a fellowship. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, neuromuscular is kind of my cup of tea. So is that like a one-year fellowship? It's a lot of these things, again, for neurology are a little bit different so most things are one year with an optional two year okay with some, you know, research, time built with some research time built in if you yeah. want to stick around and do academics right. so cool right yeah. what, what, what what's in the cards for you so right now my biggest interest is in trauma and critical care mm-hmm. um i really like how i like the social complexities of trauma that can occur um and the emotional aspect of you know you're meeting somebody on potentially the very worst day of their life or their family's very worst day. Um, And I like being somebody that can comfort them. And then, you know, in the ICU, it's this, it's kind of the same situation. You have very sick patients. Um, And so I like the emotional and social aspect, 
but also the physiology. It gets back to the basic basics for me. Um, I have a background in physiology and so it's, you know, that's just where my heart lies, but who knows? I've been told that I'm probably going to change my mind since surgery training so long. <laughs> so, so trauma is a specific fellowship yeah, on top of uh, what, the general training. Yeah. And I don't quite understand how it works. I'm just barely beginning to figure it out. Okay. I know that you can do, um, there are like specific trauma fellowships and then there are specific, like critical care fellowships and some places they're the same at some places they're different. Um, usually they're one year and again, same, you can do a additional second year if you want to stay in academics and do research. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. We've got a few minutes left. Yeah. So kind of this ties into fellowships. So we're couples matching, right? And our training programs are different lengths of time. Yeah. So this is something that we've thought of. And again, our friends that one who who is finishing a fellowship and one who's finishing her residency in, in surgery have helped us out a lot with this. So one of the things we thought of with our um, where we were applying is is there a place for me to stick around and do fellowship? Mm-hmm. Right. So neurology is four years, general surgery is five to seven. Most places are six, mm-hmm. and uh, turns out. If you stick on, stick around for a, a fellowship in neurology and add on that second year, you finish at the same time. So that was one thing that we definitely thought of is looking forward, not only where do we want to live, where our residency program is strong, but where's a place that has decent fellowship options for both of us so that we can finish our training mostly at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mostly decent fellowship options for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are the sacrifices one makes. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you do make a lot of sacrifices. I wasn't prepared for how emotional the couples match process was. Um, it's been stressful. And what do you mean by that? You make a lot of compromises. You know, we had a conversation prior to applying for residency where we made a conscious choice to put our relationship first. And, you know, even though we expected that, both of us really liked programs that the other person was lukewarm to. Mm -hmm. And we had to decide on programs that were good for both of us. And so you, you do have a sense of you're giving up on something you really want or a sense of loss or... You know, just kind of all the emotional roller coasters that comes with making a really big life decision. Um, I like how you said that, Ryan, because I knew I do know people who have couples matched, but for whatever reason, they wanted to go to really high esteem, reputable programs. So one person's like in L.A., the other person's in San Francisco because um, they couldn't make that compromise. And I mean, to each his or her own. But I think there are some drawbacks to that, especially, you know, the relationships being you know, it's hard to be married or be with someone when they're like hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. Yeah. And I still know people to this day where, uh, and I know doc, and they, you know, they're doctors, but one person works in one city and another person works in a different city. And, you know, there's alternate flying out on weekends and things like that. It strikes me as very odd. I don't think I would, I could ever do that, but yeah. that definitely happens in our country. So, yeah, yeah. And I, I knew I couldn't do mm-hmm. that. I think both Knut and I balance each other out in different ways. And I didn't want to go through this really transformative process without having the person that was my biggest support system right next to me. So, yeah. All right. Last few minutes. I need to ask. I, I want to talk about this. Yeah. So you guys did not know each other before starting school, med school. So uh, what happened? How did that, I mean, cause like, again, like <laughs> a lot of our students, they come into our school and they're already in relationships, but there's a, there's a lot of them don't. So I get, I think, again, I'm asked about this because people are worried about it because people like, oh, med school is so busy. I won't have time to date or find someone. 
And obviously you two have proved that to be completely not true. So yeah. I just want to hear about this. So I'll first say that med school is very busy, but you have so much more time than you think you do. <laughs> it's good to hear. Everyone listen to that. Yeah. Repeat that once again, right? Yeah. So much more time than you think, especially first year. Like mm-hmm. you're going to be overwhelmed, but it's actually really awesome. And you're going to wish you had spent more time playing outside and going camping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Canute and I actually both came into medical school with relationships and we met quickly deteriorated which quickly (laughs) deteriorated for various reasons that i don't know if if they had to do with med school or not but um we were put in the same study group and we both just started studying together we realized that like we could learn really well from each other Mm -hmm. and we developed a friendship and so this is during first year so this is during i mean this was like week one day one like what what was the study group what what was it integrated cases i think at the end of the week where yeah yeah Where you go... Th- we don't technically... Like, we, we've kind of morphed that into other things. Yeah. yeah I don't so, know what it's called now. Yeah. It but, still exists, but we call it something different. Okay. okay. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. So we had those cases, and you have to prep for them. And so mm-hmm. throughout the week, Knut and I would meet and kind of answer the questions that were preparatory for this course. And um, we became really good friends, and we supported each other as our relationships ended. And and then Knut and I went for a hike, and he took me out to dinner, and he paid... And I thought it was a date, but apparently it wasn't. <laughs> uh, for those of you who can't see, Canute's looking at the floor right now. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking of his response. Okay. And so we still don't actually know when our first official date was, but it just kind of, it just evolved from a friendship to a romantic relationship. And um, I think other people who have had relationships in medical school would say something similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We became we became friends in the in the study group, uh-huh. you know, and went on a couple hikes, started hanging out at coffee shops and whatnot. And uh, so it was all during first year. It was all during first year, okay. first semester of first year, really, you know. And I have no idea when we started dating. I thought we, you know, you I thought we were friends. For dinner this night? Yeah, I paid for dinner. She got my cup of coffee sometimes, you know. Okay. It was just one of those things. Right, and right. apparently, Ryan thought we were dating a couple times before <laughs> I did, but. Well, what you have to understand about Canute is that he will take any of his friends who are girls out on dates. And yeah. mm-hmm. even to this day, like, he'll still have little dates with our, some of our, like, mutual friends. In some societies and time periods, that can be considered very gentlemanly. Yeah. Yes. I would agree in this time period it okay. is. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he's just, like, a very nice guy. Mm-hmm. But we actually tried hiding our relationship from our peers because... Is that possible? No, it was not. Um, but we were worried, like, if we broke up, would it be awkward for each of us? And we didn't really know where it was going. Um, but it was pretty obvious to everybody else that we were dating, and they called us out on it. Okay. <laughs> um, so, again, I have a bunch of questions in my mind. Um, so, first of all, did you guys sit by each other in class? Initially? I don't know if we, we did. did um, but we definitely started sitting next to each other when we first started dating, whenever that was, however that morphed. And then throughout medical school, we would sit close to each other. There would be times where it was really stressful for both of us, and we we would take space mm-hmm. apart in class, and he would go do his thing, and I would go do my thing. Um, but we, we sat with our friends. We had a mutual friend yeah. group. Okay. You know, yeah. So we just kind of sat by our friends, and we were friends, and so we sat kind of by each other. <laughs> uh, did you take step one on the same day? Did we? Maybe. I don't remember. But... It's all a blur, number one. Okay. And number two, we I took my step one here at the U, and there were a handful of other classmates mm-hmm. that took it on that date. 
Yeah, we def- we studied for step one together. Mm-hmm. Um, we have what we call consensual pimping, mm-hmm. where I would take Knut for really long walks in the avenues and ask him a bunch of questions. That from I, memory, or did you have like I, ha- I had flashcards on my phone. <laughs> okay. And um, if you don't know what pimping is, that's okay. You'll figure it out once you come to medical school. <laughs> that's uh, that's being asked questions. <laughs> um, someone argue, read my mind type questions. Yeah. Yeah. Others would be like, you know, this is like legitimate material that would show up on the step. Yeah. 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 So we'd go for these long walks and we'd study. We, we do a lot of studying together. And then we kind of studied for step two over the same time period, but our kind of academic classes were a little bit different at that time and we took it a couple months apart i think okay um strategies for third year did you guys try to do rotations together because okay no was was that (laughs) conscious choice or i don't think so i mean there's a lot that goes into making your schedule for third year and once your schedule gets made you realize that like everything you thought you knew about making a schedule was not true Mm -hmm. and that you really have little control over it and it all works out fine um we ended up not having any clinical rotations together. So we've actually never worked together clinically. We're on our ER rotation together now. We are, but we have been at opposite hospitals and opposite shifts. Okay. So even though we're doing the same clerkship, Interesting. we Interesting. don't see each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have no clue what he's like clinically, but I hear he's pretty good. <laughs> so you guys kind of talked about it before we started the podcast, but the last couple minutes – um, what are some tips you have? Because you mentioned Google calendars. Is that how? Because both yeah. of your schedules seem pretty hectic. Is that is that is that a tip you would share with people? Yeah. So I think a shared Google calendar was super nice, especially for interviews. Mm-hmm. So I at least knew kind of where she was, and she knew where I was. Um, now we kind of put other things on it. We have a, a scheduled date night every oh, Saturday. Good on the Google calendar. You know, goes off at like seven or something. There's an alarm that goes off. So. We may or may not actually make that, but at least it's on a calendar. It's on the calendar. You're thinking about it at least a couple times. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And we put, you know, if we have meetings or haircuts or whatever, you know, so we're kind of aware of each other's schedules, sort of. I think having really good communication skills are necessary to get through a process like medical school and, you know, relationships, whether it's with somebody that's in medicine or with somebody that's not. Um, we, We didn't live together initially obviously and then i think second at the end of second year we moved in together um and that made things a lot easier because i always knew like you know he's going to come home at a certain hour and we're going to eat dinner together and so some of those things were kind of taken away and if you're married you don't have to worry about that but um we didn't really develop a mutual calendar until interviews and we each had to have a separate calendar for our interviews but we then shared it with the other person Mm -hmm. Do you make rules like on your date nights? Because again, I have a lot of doctor couples. I'm in a doctor couple myself. Like, not going to talk about work. Like, no. Talk about other things <laughs> not related to hospitals or rotations. You no. know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's actually really hard to not talk about what happened at the hospital. Because mm-hmm. it turns out, I mean, you're just totally immersed in what you're doing and you're dreaming about your patients and you're reading about this new disease that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's like, it or is attending so-and-so or resident. So yeah, yeah, you got to complain yeah. about things and get it off your chest so that you're, you know, a decent person with your colleagues <laughs> at the <laughs> hospital the next morning. And, uh, yeah, it, it is an all consuming experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a certain amount of sharing that has to be done about that. But we try to do other things and we try to Well, it to sounds have... like you go hiking a lot. And go, go, does this include camping? Can or... you would say we don't go outdoors as much as he would like. I think we go out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, we 
we do a lot of our activities together. Mm-hmm. So one thing I like about dating somebody that's in medicine is I never have to explain what was kind of good or bad about my day. I can mm-hmm. give him the details, but I don't have to explain what that means. He just gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are times when it's really stressful when I'll tell him I can't, I don't want to talk about medicine at all. Mm-hmm. So I think like we just have an open communication that if some person just can't handle talking about work that we just say, I don't want to talk about it. And then, then we move on to something else. Cool. Well, um, Knut, Ryan, I'm really excited for you. I hope you match at your top program, wherever that is. <laughs> if it ends up being here in Utah, I'll have you come back on the podcast. Just get updates because, you know, the life of a resident is very different in certain ways. Um, but I'm really excited for both of you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank Thanks you so much. On. Sounds good. It was fun being here. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.